0: Good morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Rick. I am the campus pastor here, like Heather said. And you've picked a great Sunday to be here. On our long weekends, a couple of special things happen. First off, we have whipped cream and pancakes and all kinds of wonderful things to put in your coffee and tea. And uh, we, we love to do that. The other thing we love to do is we include all ages of, of everyone. Well, we include all ages of people, I guess that was the word I was looking for there, in, in our service. So we do have a room set up. We're in the little glass fishbowl there behind you, and if you feel like your kids need a little break to go run around, go right ahead. But what we have um, prepared is, is, a, is a pack, and in those packs there are the notes for the, this morning's message, there's activity and coloring pages as well, and so you, we don't set an age limit on those though. So if you feel like you need coloring and word searches to fo- follow along this morning, that's great. And if you feel like you don't, then there are notes in your bulletin as well as on the Portico app, and you can follow along with that. What is your earliest memory of there being a God? Think back. The earliest memory that you thought, hey, there might be a God. This is every every age of person in the room. The first time that you thought there might be a God. I, I remember the first time I considered that there might be a God. I didn't grow up going to church. And the first there might be a real God moment came when I was on my bike when I was six years old. See, I grew up in a day when overparenting was overrated I guess you you would say there's kids seem to be more of a nuisance than anything to parents parents would kick us out of the house at sunrise and if we made it back for dinner that was considered a bonus and around around noon when the sun was beating down on us and we were sweaty and hungry we would come like starving people looking for food sandwiches cookies something like, and m- mom would have sandwiches ready and then she would have a wonderful idea she would say why don't you go and take that as a picnic outside at the park with with your friends outside and then and then go and play again again somewhere and as a parent i've discovered what this translates into it translates into i don't want your little friends being noisy and messing up my house so get out kids kids look at me for a minute if you're here under the age of uh well whatever if you're a kid in the room picture this all day outside unsupervised free to go wherever you wanted to that was a world that I grew up in and that world was called 1985. It really did exist. And you'd be arrested for giving children that kind of freedom today it seems like, but back then it was just the way that it was done. And I, went, I remember it was 1985, I was 6 years old and we didn't have all day kindergarten. We only had morning kindergarten. So I went to school for about 20 minutes every morning or something like that. And and then we were then we had the afternoon off. And I biked to a construction site with my friend. Again, mom, mom said, get on your bike and go around the park. So a friend and I biked over to this construction site and we saw unfinished homes with the basements dug out. And we, what, what would you do, guys, if you found a giant hole that you could, what would you do? Aaron, what would you do? If there was a giant hole and no adults around. Exactly, you would jump in. And, go, and Kathy's like, Yes, that's my boy. You would climb down the wall, you would jump into this unfinished basement. So that's what we did. But I was six years old and three feet tall. And although I was able to get down, I wasn't necessarily able to get out. And at that point, after about an hour being stuck in the basement, and my mom not really worrying where I was, because this was a normal way of life i felt that life was probably going to end that afternoon in the basement and it was the first time that i considered i wonder if there was a god and if there was a god could he help me get out of this basement hole and 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 i prayed i remember praying god we need help get us get us out of this hole and and God sent elementary school children aged angels I believe on their way home from on their way home from school cuz we went out probably at 1 o'clock so we had been down there probably for 2 hours and there was kids on their way home from elementary school And they came by and we were screaming, help help, we're stuck in the hole. It was this wonderful experience where there was elementary school aged kids building a human chain and pulling us out and feeling like we were Chilean miners being rescued out of the hole. And I have believed in God ever since that day. No, just kidding. My mom, my mom became a Christ follower, became a Christian when I was in elementary school and she brought me to church and I would agree to, I would agree to go and I went to Sunday school class and I was introduced to this, this God called called Jesus, and he seemed like the fun party kind of God. He was turning water into wine, and he was caring for and he was caring for people. He was healing people, and he was pictured even as this gentle, wonderful person with wonderful hair. We've got this image here, Stuart. I'm throw, yes, this was this was how I was introduced to Jesus, carrying lambs and beautiful beautiful washed hair, which never would have happened in the Middle East. And I liked I liked this God. And then we would start to read stories of the Old Testament. Remember, I had never been introduced to God before. I would just going to Sunday school. And we did this Jesus on a felt board. And then, and then I went to read some of the Old Testament. And I read about Noah, who built this giant boat and brought all kinds of animals onto the boat. And why did he do that? Does anyone remember why he had Noah build a boat? Why? Yeah, and what was he going to do with everybody else? No, he was going to drown them. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was putting one family on the boat and then I was introduced to this God that said, and he's going to drown every other human being and animal on earth. That's not a very... Jesus has a lamb on his shoulders. Why would he kill all these other little millions of lambs? This isn't, this doesn't make sense at all. And, the, and, and then we were introduced to the story of, of Daniel and, and, how, and how Daniel was praying and he was faithful to God and, and, how, and how God protected him in the lion's den. And there were priests that tried to trick uh, the king into having Daniel killed and these priests were going to be put to death. And I don't know if you've read this story, but it wasn't just the priests that were put to death. They're, wives and their children were put to death as well for what for what the priest did. I'm thinking God is angry and God God is God is mean and he he sent diseases and plagues and he called people to war and there's all this hate in the Bible. Maybe God's son Jesus was so nice cuz he had such a mean father. I mean, we just, we just read, we just sang about this song that said you're a good good father. It's who you are and I read the Bible and I go, "No, you're not. You're a, you're a mean mean father." I like Jesus with the lamb and the hare, not so sure about this other side of God. So, our first discussion question, and I was explaining this to some people who are, who are visiting with us, but in case you didn't uh, get a chance to hear this, you don't have to answer if you don't want to this morning. This is, if you're, if you just want to listen, you're more than welcome to. But this, we're going to have three discussion questions at your tables and you don't have to have any bible knowledge to answer these these questions these are just your opinion your experience but our first discussion question for everybody at the table what was the way that you first started to picture or you first started to understand who god is so what are your earliest memories of of what god might be like or who he was and that kind of thing so go ahead we'll give you three four minutes at your table just to share with one another what, what your experience was about learning who god was So we're in our, we're in a series, if you're just joining with us, we're in a series called Tough Questions, and we're in the second last week of this series, but actually what we've been doing is we've had this presentation of the tough questions that whether you're somebody that's just a skeptic of God, that you're not quite sure, that maybe these are the questions that you would bring to God, or maybe you're someone that's just checking out your faith. And, the, and these are the questions that you that you would need answered before you could fully buy into who God is. Or maybe you're a believer, you're a Christ follower, but these are the answers that, that maybe some people bring, or the questions that some people bring to you. So we're into our second last week of this. And you, if you haven't been there at every service, that's okay. You can catch up online. You go to the Portico website, porticocanada.ca, or you can um, follow us follow along at our podcast. We also have growth groups that meet Throughout the week to discuss these topics in homes a little, a little more in detail at the Mississauga campus, there's one that's open for everybody on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. So we're going to go ahead and answer the question or open up the question. We don't always get to full answers on Sunday mornings. That's why we need to be in the growth group. So we're going to open up the question of why is God so angry? And there's notes to fill along in your, like I said, on your Portico app. You can download that in your bulletins or as well the handouts for the kids. So here we go. Why is God so angry? Number one, why does the God of the Old Testament seem to be so angry? That's your fill in the blank. Well, God did some pretty angry things in the Bible. There, there is no getting around that. And it's very easy to jump to a belief that God has anger management issues, that he just blows up at people, and then he backs away, and then he gets mad at people. And, but but here's, here's what we need to remember, is that any action that is viewed outside of its context it's dangerous because it can be easily misunderstood. Have you ever lost your temper for good reasons? <laughs> Have you ever maybe acted as something that if people didn't know the context, um, they, would, they would judge you a certain way? So we wanna look at a couple of instances where God lost his temper, but we wanna look at maybe what really happened if we go to the context that 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 it's brought into. So let's go to the the prototypical immoral cities that God judged, that many people outside of church and Bible would know, called Sodom and Gomorrah, where where we recognize that there were all kinds of people that were just sinful and bad and and selfish, and not only were they not God fearing, they were just right against God. It's it's kind of like Oakville. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just like Oakville. Right? Anybody from Oakville? No. <laughs> Actually, I know somebody, whoops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fletcher, I love you. <laughs> we wonder why God would destroy an entire city. And this is, we ask, we, 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 we get into this story and there's, there's a man named Lot. And Lot's running away from the city. Lot had lived and, and been in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and his wife turns back to take one long, longing look at the city that, where she had lived and where she had raised her family. And when she turns back to look at the city just before it's destroyed, she's turned into a pillar of salt. And we go, God, why, why are you so mean to these to these people? So let's do a little pre-reading into the story. You'll see that, that God looked at the cities and saw that, wow, these, there's nobody in this city that actually loves me at all, that, that lives anything like I've asked them to live. I just I need to get rid of these cities because they're, they're, they're leading people away from God. And if you look at it, he was willing to spare the city if there were 50 righteous people in the city. Abraham said, God, you're a good God. And he, he ends up arguing with God and say, if there's 50 people in this city that are actually decent people, will you spare the city? And God said, yes. Well, he couldn't find 50 people. So he went back to God. God, what if there were 45 people? He said, yeah, well, okay, I'll spare the city for 45 people. What if there were 40 people? What if there were 30 people? What if there were 20? He does this six times. He argues with God and God says, you know what? If there's 10 decent people in this city that have any kind of life that lives towards me, I will completely spare the city. God goes back and forth and has patience and God goes back and forth and, has, and says, yeah, I'll, I'll spare an entire city if there was 10 people that honored me. And God wasn't necessarily being angry and judgmental. He was acting out a consequence on people that had totally given up on him. And if, if, if a leader, if a parent, if God gives instructions and details the consequences that would result in not following the rules, does that make them angry and unreasonable when those consequences are followed up upon? Are, are you an angry, unreasonable parent when you enact a consequence when you've already given when you're given details about what would happen. We see this again in 2 Samuel. There's the story of the Israelites who are bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you need to know what the Ark of the Covenant is. It's the place where God's presence was. So God wasn't, God wasn't in spirit being down in us. In, in our time, we believe that God fills us. He's with us. His spirit's in us. In this day, God was in this box, and they carried this box around, and this box had been taken from the people. God's presence had been taken from them. But it was being brought back as Israel's king and and God, and there were very specific instructions on how this box was ever to be moved. And on that day, the people of Israel had chosen to move it on a cart being pulled by a cow, (laughs) the same way that they would transport garbage or, or stuff that they didn't care about. And in, and, in, uh, and in the story, we see a man named Uzzah, who saw this Ark of the Covenant on the cart, beginning to stumble and rumble because it's on a bumpy road, and he reaches out to secure it, and he puts his hand on And there were very specific instructions, never to touch that box where God's presence was. And the moment that he touches it, he dies. And you think, God, why are you being so mean? He was protecting the Ark. He was protecting your box. But God had been so clear. He said, never move the, the way that I'm to be moved on the, Ark of this, on the Ark of the Covenant. There were to be poles that people in the front and people in the back and the box in the middle, just like any king or dignitary at that time would have, been, would have been transported. And they were completely disobeying what God had explicitly told them how to move the Ark of the Covenant. And it was very clear that he should never touch the box. And when those rules were broken, well, there were consequences when they had ignored God. And when you get the whole story... You get this picture that, well, maybe God isn't judgmental and mean. Maybe God is just and acts out consequences. He's, he's, he tells us what the expectations are. He tells us what the consequences are, and then he acts those out. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, here's what it says. The verses on the screen this morning. As he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He does all that, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And is the God of the Old Testament angry and mean? Maybe not. Maybe he just is who he says he is. I have patience, and I give chances, and I do forgive, yet yet when we act and we become guilty, we're not unpunished. And these, this was given to Moses on the mountain with God who was receiving the Ten Commandments, the ten things that were, that were the foundation of what the rest of the law was built up upon. But in this, God reveals the duality of his nature. He's compassion, he's caring, he's loving, he's forgiving. Yet at the same time, he is able to give out just punishment. And our second discussion question this morning as you go around your tables, and again, this is just your opinion. In your opinion do people think God is more compassionate or more judgmental? And why do you think that is? Go ahead and and discuss with each other. Is God, do people think, not necessarily you, but when you engage in discussion, do people think God is more compassionate or more judgmental? And, and, And how have you come to that conclusion? Go ahead. It's an interesting discussion, isn't it? And we know that we know that most of us will end up focusing on one or the other sides. We know that some people will end up saying, you know what, God is this judgmental, angry God, and other people will say, I don't see that. I see this compassionate, loving God. And the reality is it's because he has this dual nature to him. God's character of justice demands that he have consequence. But his patience and his caring and his loving side demands that he first give warning and second warning, and third warning. And actually, if you go into the scriptures, you'll find that there are twice as many references to God's, com- more than twice as many references to God's compassion in the Bible than there are to his judgment, and his wrath, and his anger. So maybe God's not angry. He's just clear, and he's just. <laughs> so let's go to our second point there. Why does God's character seem to change then in the New Testament? And we know that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's about a 400-year gap where there's no prophets writing and there's nothing happening. So do we think God takes the 400-year time out, does some anger management courses, and then comes back in the New Testament and reappear as the soft-spoken Jesus with the lamb around his shoulders, the more tolerant version of whom God is? Because Jesus came to earth and he spent time with his family, spent time making friends, building human relationships. He went to weddings, he went to parties. He became like one of us. And he told people, remember what he told people the purpose was, why he was here? He told them that he was revealing God to them. He was, he was coming so that they would see God. Who the father is and and one of his friends philip who was a disciple he said jesus when is god literally going to show up if you're saying you're to reveal god to us when is he actually going to show up and here's what jesus answer was in john fourteen nine, he said don't you know me philip even after i have been among you for such a long time anyone who has seen me has seen the father so how can you say show us the father Theologically, we know Jesus was God. He was incarnate. He was in human form. People needed to see and understand this compassionate side of God. God had always had this dual side to his nature. But just as you were discussing around your tables, there's a lot of people who would have only seen God's judgment and God's anger. They would have seen all the things that would have happened and said, well, God's an angry God. But Jesus came and said, no, I need to show you the side of God that's loving, that's compassionate, that's caring. God has always had these two sides. Kids, I want you to think for a second. Kids in the room. When you get into trouble, when you're grounded, when something's taken away from you, who are you angry at? Yeah, that's right. No no shame at all. I'm angry. When I'm grounded, it's dad's fault, and dad has done something horrible. Well, let me ask you this. So you're saying When you disobeyed a rule that you have been reminded about 10 times and you didn't change at all, maybe for days and days and weeks you didn't change, you're mad at dad? (laughs) Well, you are, aren't you? We we get, yeah, we are. You're (laughs) warned... you're worn 10 times, mom counted to three, she went one, two, two and a quarter, two and a half, two and a third, two and seven eighths, like she gave you every chance you can and you're mad at mom for taking something away. Well, that seems a little crazy. But it's because as human beings, we're more apt to focus on the punishment rather than the tolerance that we've received for days or weeks or months or years. We don't see the compassionate, loving side. We only see when the consequence is enacted. So Jesus appears on the scene of the world. Not only, not only is he going to take the place of judgment and wrath upon us, there's really no greater demonstration of love than what Jesus did. He came to die for our sins so that we wouldn't have to take that hit but he also comes to reveal God's loving nature and character. See, for thousands of years, when people approached God, they had to kill something. We know this from, from the sacrifices, right? When they were going to come to the temple, they had to kill something. They had to be purified. And if they approached God in the wrong way, they would die themselves. They were terrified of God. They had this, con- this is where the concept of the holy fear of God came from. And then Jesus comes and he says, let me teach you how to pray. And he says, Abba which translate to daddy, <laughs> father. Here's what we see in Luke 11:2. He said, when you pray, say father, hallowed or holy be your name and your kingdom come. They would have looked at Jesus like he had three heads. Like you want me to call the guy, I've been killing things to come to pray and now you want me to call him daddy? I don't think so. He's the one that brings plague and death to those who don't obey that's the one you want me to start treating as, as father? See, the people would have not had this understanding, and that's why Jesus is here. Now, think about this in our context. The people that we love the most are the people who have the greatest ability to aggravate us, don't they, <laughs> right? In a group discussion, when you were just in group discussion, if somebody cut you off and you have no idea, this is the first time you've met them, and they cut you off, you probably didn't say anything, right? you probably like, you, oh, you just be polite because you don't know them. If it was a friend that interrupted you, well, you might look at them and say, oh, I didn't know I was done speaking, <laughs> right? <laughs> and if it was somebody in your family, you may go home and why would you just cut me off? I was saying something in the group. You, you just lose it. The people that you're closest with, you have a greater reaction to. And part of God's extreme reaction has to do with how much he loves us the extremes that God goes to to help us know how much he loves us is because of that love. He cared so much about showing his that nature that he let Jesus leave perfection and leave the perfect unity that they had in heaven so that they were separate, so that he would come down and show that love to us. John 1 and 14 says this, the word became flesh, the word is Jesus, became flesh, became a human, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace but also full of truth, so he's not just angry, and his character never changed. He just needs us to know who he is and how he asks, uh, how he acts and that leaves us for the big question for today. This is one of the the biggest stumbling blocks as people are coming to God and saying. Why is God so angry? Here's the third question. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Is the concept we want to deal with this morning. Now, before we get going on this one, I'm going to send it back for your, to the tables for the, for, for the last point. Do you personally believe that hell exists? And if you do, what does it look like to you? What do you think? Of, what's your concept of hell? So go ahead, around the table. And you know what? As we, were, as we were getting ready for this week, I thought, great, this is the week we have kids in our service, <laughs> And I thought, no, absolutely, this is great. Because God came so that we would understand both sides, how much He loves us, and that there are real consequences in life. So go ahead, around your tables, discussion. Do you personally believe hell exists? And if you do, what do you imagine that it would be like? So again, we thanks so much for participating in the conversation. And there are no no one's being marked right or wrong answers. This is your experiences, right? And The greatest question that that so many people would have is, 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 is is hell real and how could God love people so much yet 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 send people to hell? Well, when we look at this question, you know where we should first go to? We should go to the other side of God's nature to see what that would be about. If we see in 1 Timothy 2 and 4, where God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. We actually scripturally can't make a case that God wants to send people to hell. We may we can see the other case that God doesn't want anyone to go there. If God had <coughs> excuse me, if God had his way, his loving side would say, Yes, we'd all get to go to heaven, and heaven is a place there's no pain, it's promised, there's no suffering. We don't have to struggle to work, where we live forever, where God is nearby. It's a place where full of people who are enjoying perfection. And here's the other part, who want to be there with God. It's a place where people have said, yeah, I I believe who God is, I love who God is, and I want to be there with God, and I'm going to spend eternity forever. Biblically, we can make this case for a very real heaven that God wants us to go to. But also from the Bible, we can make a case for a very real hell. Did you know that Jesus taught more in hell than he did on heaven? He never described it definitively, which is why there's all this confusion and all this personal opinion, and and we put what we would interpret onto his words. He never actually described it definitively, but he did describe it as a place where God isn't, where people feel tortured, where where it's it's described as fiery, whether that's real, whether that's literal or not. Overall, we know it's a place that I don't really want to end up. (laughs) At least I know it's a place I don't want to end up. And I can see that God doesn't want me to end up there, which is why when he was here, when Jesus was on earth, he spent so much time talking to people about it, go, it's a real place, and you don't want to go there. And I would do anything to not make you go there. In fact, I would even die so that you don't have to go there, which is what he did. And the, the disciples who got to know Jesus personally, and they knew that he was so compassionate, here's what they believed. After Jesus came back from from the dead when he was resurrected, they believed that everybody on earth at that time would become a Christian. When Jesus left and they said he was taken up into the clouds, the prevailing belief at that time was that he was going to come back when everybody all over the world believed in who Jesus was. They said you're going to because the Spirit said you're going to go into all the nations. Jesus said you're going to go and baptize and make disciples, and the Spirit's going to bring you. And they believed, they truly believed that everybody would come to faith in Jesus. And so there was this discussion, how come Jesus hasn't come back yet? It's been like 10 years. (laughs) We see it in 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Because people were starting to say, well, how come he's being so slow? How come he's not coming back yet? As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. That's what they believed. That's what they were teaching. Now, we look around the world today, it's been 2,000 years, and we really don't believe that everybody's going to come to faith in Christ. And we also know this, God doesn't force his rules or his life or belief in him on any of us. And there are millions of people worldwide who every day choose a different way of life and a different way of faith and a different way of belief in who God is. But as we sit here this morning, whether you're 8 years old or whether you're 48 years old or whether you're 68 years old, we have the right, no, we, we have the gift to align with God and receive the promise of eternity with him forever and ever in heaven. Yet at the same time, we also have the right to align ourselves without him and spend eternity separate from him, whatever that may look like. You see, God doesn't send anyone to hell. He sent Jesus to prevent that. He does, he's not sending anyone to hell, but he allows you to choose where you want your eternity to be. He uses the church and he uses individuals. He uses the whole world so that everyone would have a chance to hear this amazing message. Here's what Jesus promised in Matthew 24 and 14. And the gospel of this kingdom, God's kingdom, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. And God's not angry, but he is just. And he's very clear and he invites us into perfect relationship with him. He says, you don't have to have consequence for sin. The sin, the stuff you have in your life that separates God and humanity, you don't have to pay for that. He leaves you with the right to choose the forgiveness and choose the gift that's in front of us. So this morning, as we close, I'm gonna pray. And here's what I wanna pray for. I wanna pray with you. If you have never decided, I believe in this, I believe that what Jesus came to do was on a mission from God and that he came to take the place so that I don't have to pay for my sins, and I want to go to heaven. I believe it's real. I want to pray for you. And as, you, as we pray along this morning, you can, just, you can receive this free gift this morning as we pray. The second is this. I, I, want, I want to pray for others that maybe God's speaking to you about, I just need to be a little more open about this message because Jesus came so that nobody on earth, my friends, the people I work with, my family... They, they, they need to know about this. And in our society, sometimes we get a little, we get a little quiet about it because we think, you know, I don't want to be offensive. I, I know on my street there are people of five different faiths and there are people who would be really offended if I told them this message. I mean, and, and it sounds so judgmental. And the message out of this morning is there isn't an angry God. There's a God who offers a perfect, who offers perfection that offers heaven, and maybe it 's going on a missions trip like we talked about, maybe it 's just sharing the faith around around our own community around our own network of, of people, but I want to pray for both groups of people this morning and uh, just believe that that God is speaking something to our hearts this morning let 's pray, Father, I thank you for your word, and God I thank you that you 're clear in your word that You sent Jesus so that no one would ever have to experience what this place called hell is. And God, I don't need to know exactly what hell is. I just know that I don't want to be there. I want to be with you. And this morning for anyone who's in the room or anyone who's listening to this later on just feels that today is their day to make the decision, yeah, I believe in you, God. I believe this message is real. I believe Jesus is God's son. And I need his payment for my sin. And in the name of Jesus, we pray that right now you just confirm that in their hearts and you start them on a brand new path of learning who you are to a brand new path of faith that's leading them towards heaven. And God, for those who aren't necessarily ready to make that decision yet this morning, but at least you're speaking to them about something through your word and through the people here around in this room this morning, I thank you for that. And and Jesus, I pray that you you bring people around them that they can continue this discussion with. And Father, for those who already believe and already convinced, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you speak something to us about how we're going to go and how we're going to spread the message around even greater, Lord, whether it's a missions trip or whether it's just uh, engaging in these kinds of discussions with our friends and family. Father, I pray that we would share the great news of heaven and that share that we have a loving, compassionate, patient God who wants no one to suffer the consequence but wants everyone to come to faith in him in faith in Jesus and perfection in heaven. Thanks, God, for a great morning. And uh, we just ask that wherever we go, whatever we do today, we would experience the same closeness of your spirit. Ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.